a gigantic goal in my life is to never be like the subject of this song. This song is beautiful and it's heartbreaking and it's full of emotion and it's not something, at least at the time, which wasn't entirely familiar to Metallica and their fans. They had Fade to Black um, on Ride the Lightning, which was seven years before this album. Um, I guess Sanitarium was kind of ballad-like, but definitely not lyric-wise. It wasn't. Um, And Justice just was so aggressive. You know, To Live is to Die had ballady elements, but there was no lyrics in it except for, you know, some spoken word. But when the Black Album came out and hearing this song for the first time, like I remember I was 14, 15 when the album came out and we heard Sandman, we heard Enter Sandman on the radio and we saw the video and that was really the only song we heard before actually buying the album. This, there was no internet back in 1991 or at least internet that we know of. Maybe it was like DARPA or something like that, but nothing, 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 nothing like it is today. It didn't exist for consumers, let's just say. So my friend, uh, Steve and my friend Chris and I went to Nobody Beats the Wiz and bought this album. And Steve, who I've done Metallica podcasts and some movie podcasts on this very podcast before, um, I'm still friends with him. Uh, Chris, I'm a Facebook friend. He he's since long since moved away, but um, I'm, I still see Steve all the time. So we went back, we went back to Steve's house. This is like total suburbia in, in the 90s. That's why I'm laughing. So we went back to Steve's house. We put the CD in, and we played Sandman, which, which you heard before. And I remember after Sandman was over, I said, well, here we go, because we never heard any other song on this album ever. So we were all experiencing it for the first time. We were experiencing an album straight through for the first time. So we were in Steve's room, and we sat there, and we listened to it. So there was Enter Sandman, there was um, Sad But True, Holier Than Thou. I mean, they were all heavy songs, but there definitely weren't thrash elements to it. They were good, and it was heavy. Then when it came to The Unforgiven, um, the only first impression that I really remember was when it got to the, the lighter part, the what I felt, what I've known, it was so different from what we've heard from James Hetfield that Steve, Chris, and I all looked at each other in shock going, oh my God, Jason Newstead singing on the album. We honestly thought it was Jason Newstead singing that because we didn't think Hetfield's voice could sound like that because it was so, so different. Um, so what, what makes this kind of unique is that commonly anyway in songs, the lyrics will be kind of mellow and then the chorus really turns heavy and and this song kind of kind of turned it turned it on its head but i think what what makes metallica one of my favorite bands and in my opinion makes the post justice songs i think they'll last longer they'll be more timeless than the um than the first four albums because it has this kind of emotion to it and when you have that kind of emotion to it that kind of emotion is timeless because everybody feels that way. Um, the thrash element, as fantastic as it is, there is a dated 
element to it because of the way it sounds. It's a very thin sound. Those albums are pretty thin sounding. And what the Black Album brought was great production from Bob Rock. And I don't want to lead anyone astray. I love every Metallica album, even Saint Anger. I love that one. Um, and I love the first four because they're a great representation of the moment of a moment in time. But I don't find myself going back to those albums as much. And I think it's because of the sound and I think it's because of the lyrical content. This album, with maybe the exception of Dyer's Eve and Fade to Black, was one of the few albums and songs that that really that Hetfield really tapped into. Not commenting about society, but actually how he was feeling. And the Unforgiven really tapped into that. And I I liked it when I was a kid, but then I got tired of it because it was so overplayed and everybody else liked it, and that was the ballad on the album, and it was more rebellious to go to the, the heavier stuff. But hearing Unforgiven and Unforgiven 2... I haven't heard Unfor- I mean I've heard Unforgiven 3 a lot and it's it's a good song but it doesn't match the power of Unforgiven and Unforgiven 2. I'm definitely going to give Unforgiven 3 another chance. But the Unforgiven listening to it now as a 41-year-old who has really gone through the personal struggles really gone through personal struggles and has really tried, and and I know my friends amongst me have really tried not to be the the subject of the person in this song, and I don't think any of us have given up, but man, is it a fight. Man, is it a fight. And it's just, it it stands out to me that Hetfield as, how old was he? He must have been maybe in his, let's see, he was probably eight 19 when Kill 'em All came out. So he was in his mid-20s, maybe, early to mid-20s when he wrote this. And the emotional maturity that he observed, even though his life may not have been filled with the most mature things, the emotional maturity that he observed just by writing this ly- these lyrics as, you know, someone in the early 20s, I can only compare it to myself when I was in my early 20s and I was just I I, I didn't I didn't necessarily think like this. I think I was more self-centered. I was acting and actors are just, I would imagine normally self-centered and, and I was just so hyper-focused on my career that I didn't really have time to think of things like this. And, and the older I get and the, I guess the less self-centered I get, I can really think about these things. So as a 41 year old man, looking back on lyrics by, you know, a 23, 25-year-old James Hetfield, it just shows how advanced, at least compared to me, that James Hetfield was, at least in in this area. Um, so I think with the lyrics and the sound, 20, 30 years from now, I would think people will look back on these kind of songs that Metallica has written. Definitely hold, they'll definitely hold the earlier stuff up, but I think with the test of time, it's going to be these kind of songs that 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 will that will make it. So, um, and I'm trying to remember when I first like hearing the music because like even the name like Unforgiven, it's like oh this is probably like the ballad. Um, it's it's my favorite song on the Black Album, and 
I think with track listings, or at least the pattern that I see, I think a lot of bands put their strongest songs as the fourth song. I Just looking back on some albums, it's like a lot of the albums that I listen to, that, that sometimes, maybe more than most, my favorite songs are like the fourth one, or the one. sometimes the most popular songs are the fourth ones. So um, just the production, the sound dynamics, the playing, the contrast between the acoustic and the electric guitar, Kirk Hammett's solo, which is shown... I'm so glad there were cameras there recording it because it showed the struggle that Hammett himself had um, recording these solos and how Bob Rock had to push him to... to make, It was Bob Rock and Lars Ulrich had to push him to, to really make this kind of solo because he was... You know, you saw the previous takes of the solo. He just wasn't getting it. And they were arguing about it and what a sh- solo should be. And just and then you just finally saw the take where Hammett nailed it. And it was just so... It was so great. And it... It's not the fast. It's not a fast solo, but it's played with such emotion and heart by Hammett that this ranks probably one of his best, if not the best solo that he's had. And I know it might be controversial because it's like he's not going a million miles an hour, but you know I will take emotion over technique any day of the week, and and, and I am a fan of technique. So um, I'm going to go over the lyrics, and the lyrics are pretty straightforward, but I, they they definitely need to be. They definitely need to be repeated. Repeated. Jesus Christ. They definitely need to be repeated. So, um, let me begin. And and the lyrics are, again, kind of obvious. But, so, new blood joins this earth and quickly he's subdued. It's like, oh my God. It's just, you know, for whatever reason... When someone shows some kind of streak of rebelliousness and some kind of streak of creativity, it's not like sometimes we don't ask why. It's just look what he's doing and we have to stifle this. We have to stop this. We have to subdue it. And not asking, well, why why do you feel this way? You know, maybe we can solve this problem that you have if we if we just if we just find out. It's like, no, 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 no. Emotion, feeling, this this is a danger, you know, especially growing up as a man. Men can't feel this. Men have to be tough and men have to be stoic and men can't show emotion. That's women have to show emotion. And I'm glad it's I'm glad that wall is being cracked, at least for as every generation goes on. You know, I think it's a good thing to show emotions at opportune times. I mean, you don't want to be, I don't know, at a corporate meeting and all of a sudden start crying because of the way you were treated as a kid. You know, there, there are times and places for it. So new blood joins this earth and quickly he's subdued through constant pained disgrace. Jesus Christ. Constant pained disgr- disgrace. Humiliation. You know, through constant pain, disgrace, the young boy learns their rules. So he is forced and and humiliated into submission to conform, to learn these are the rules, and if you don't follow these rules, it's not going to be good for you. So it's this kid's not off to a good start. With time, the child draws in. So because this child is so humiliated, he's turning inward because he can't. Because he knows that if he expresses himself, uh, bad things are going to happen. This whipping boy done wrong. Deprived of all his thoughts, the young man struggles on. So this makes a case for how bad repression is. No matter what the repression is, it's bad, you know? If someone is feeling repressed, they're going to 
either lash out or going to turn turn inward, and that turning inward is going to come out in some in some bad way. You know, this is why I'm such an advocate to going to therapy and seeing a therapist because. Or even safe spaces. I know safe spaces has gotten a bad name, but what safe spaces are, they're a place without judgment. They're a place for you to to get out what you believe in and not be judged. And no matter what the belief, to at least get it out and not be judged could lead you to, if you don't like your belief, to change it. At least you have an opportunity to vent, you know, which, you know, when you go see a therapist, that is a safe space. Um, At least with my therapist, it is. I would hope with everybody's therapist it is. If you have a therapist like putting you down because of your thoughts, please change therapists or change friends for that matter. Or uh, with family, I'm not saying change family, but at least express to your family just, hey, listen, I just I want to get these feelings out there. And if you can't get these feelings out to your family, I know it can be uncomfortable. At least try to find a friend or someone to tell these things to because the results of keeping things inside aren't good. There could be just a myriad of things and a myriad of, of just bad, bad things. Um, so the young man struggles on and on. He's known a vow unto his own that never from this day his will they'll take away. So there's kind of some contradictions into this. So the way that the song is sung so the young man struggles on and on. He's known. And it stops at he's known. And then it sounds like a vow unto his own is completely new. But if you read the lyrics, it's like the young man struggles on and on. And then on and on is where the pause is. And he's known a vow unto his own that never from this day his will they'll take away. So I, I read it as he's trying to make a promise to himself that from this day whoever this day is, and this day could be, you know, could be your boss, this day could be your parents, this day could be bullies or friends or people you think are friends, whoever this day is that are trying to break you or trying to defeat you, from this day, that never from this day his will they'll take away. So he's making a stand, at least right now, that he's not going to be, he's not going to be silenced. He's not going to have what he wants to do taken away, at least so easily from whoever these oppressors are. So there's, at least how I see it, there's a sign of hope in this song. Now, I'm not going to get a tattoo, but I think if I ever did get a tattoo, I'm not a fan of anything too permanent, you know, because if I would get a tattoo, I would change my mind right after I would get it. But I think if I was going to get a tattoo, I would like to have, you know, a vow unto his own that never from his day his will they'll take away. I, I would love to have that tattooed on my arm because I never want my will to be taken away by anybody, you know, and I could use that to remind myself if if I ever feel that it's ever being taken away, that at least I can look at something. But, you know, maybe I'll just write it on a piece of paper. So then it goes into the, you know, the chorus where it's, you know, Hetfield singing, actually using his voice and not screaming. But uh, what I felt, what I've known, never shine through in what I've shown. It's obvious, but it, it points out, and this is very heartbreaking to me, just the just lost potential or never living up to your full potential or having potential and never showing it. You know, one, I'm, I'm glad I pursued acting, even though, you know, the results of it wasn't something I wanted, but at least I won't have to look back going, Hey, 
what if. I never want to live my life saying what if, or at least I want to do my best never to live my life saying what if. And, you know, I have friends and I know people who they, they know their potential isn't met or there's always something they wanted to do and for whatever reason they can't go back to school, they don't have the money or they, for whatever reason they can't reach the, their full potential or they don't have the time because they're working so much, you know. So that's always heartbreaking to me. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is because I like to talk and I like to let my opinions be known and I want to share them. And I never knew of an outlet to do it before. And then, you know, I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and he just said, he said, anybody can do a podcast. You know, I can do a podcast. Just take your phone out and do it. And I'm like, shit. I mean, he has a point. So that what he said inspired me to do it. And, you know, 40 some odd episodes later, I'm, I'm doing it. And I'm grateful for, for Rogan to, uh, to point that out to me. It's like, yeah, this is, this is the avenue I have, you know, and if no one listens to it, if five people listen to it, if 5 million people listen to it, at least it's something that out there. And I think that's out there. And I think it's also the closest thing we can get to immortality, at least right now, where, you know, if I die tomorrow, at least these words can be heard, you know, forever by people that I've met, people that I'll never meet. At least it's something that's there. So, um, never be, never see, won't see what might have been. So again, just potential that's never going to be. And that's just, ah, man, I just, I wish every human being that has ever lived can, can at least show a fraction of their potential or at least put out there what they want and what they want to do. Um, because that's not really living, you know, going to a job that you hate. And I know people go to jobs that they hate because they have to. They have to pay rent. They have to take care of their families. But, you know, I, I don't want to be on my deathbed and go, man, I wish I would have done that. Because, you know, I think that when you die, that's it. You're gone. And you just, you're you're just the way you were before you were born. You're just out of existence. And I, even though it won't, I won't know because I'll be dead, on my deathbed that, you know, final minutes or final minute minutes that I have of any kind of cognition or cognitive, you know, thought, it would be torture to go, man, why didn't I do this and why didn't I do that, you know? Some things are just worth it to at least try. And I know, I know, I know it's hard. I know some things are very hard and just to try maybe a little bit each day hopefully could uh, could start something and I know some people have more advantages than others and 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 I get it and I get it life sucks sometimes life is beautiful sometimes but yes I, I'm aware that sometimes life sucks and just try and do what you can do you know that's my motivational thought and speech and I fucking hate motivational posters. I'm motivated to hate motivational posters. Anyway, um, so I uh, won't see what might have been. What I felt, what I've known, never shine through in what I've shown, never free, never me. So I dub the unforgiven. So it's like, you know, a king dubbing a knight, you know, unforgiven. And, and unforgiven can mean so many things. And the song is a little, there's some ambiguity in it because what is he unforgiven about? Is he unforgiven about not pursuing his dreams and goals? What is the action? Why is 
the boy or the man in this song unforgiven? What did he do? And and I think it's he can't forgive himself for where he is right now, and that is just an awful, awful place to be in, an awful, awful way to um to think. I think the older I get, and as hard as it is, I do think forgiveness might help, but then again, it would depend on on what action is taken. I've had experiences in my life where I've forgiven a person for things done to me, but I haven't forgotten what they've done. So have I really forgiven them? I don't know. Like, there's one specific person coming to mind, so when I see this person in, in public, I'm cordial. Some may say that I'm nice, but in the back of my mind, I don't forget what was done. You know, it was just, you know, it was a betrayal and I'm being purposely vague here. So, um, is there power in forgiveness? Maybe. Um, it's, it's a gray area, but I think to forgive oneself is very, very important because that's how we move on from doing things that we may have felt were wrong in our lives. So I do think forgiveness, forgiveness of oneself at least is the first step, even if a party or people that you may have wronged can't forgive you. You can't control what they do, but you can control, hopefully, you know, with work, how you think. So um, I do think self-forgiveness is is necessary, even though it's hard. So I think the unforgiven is he can't forgive himself. Um, this part of the lyrics are the, are the most powerful and it it makes me very full of emotion and sad when when I hear Hetfield sing in this growl this you know what could be considered a manly growl but it's just, it's he spits it out with such anger but it also shows a sensitive side of him um you know and and I guess what what could be considered manly back in 1991, it's like yeah, that kind of thing. But um, what I think is what could be could have been called manly in 1991 could now be called because women can have this growl too, and it could be just as powerful. Um, so I think it's just a better word would be just anger and emotion, and I think it's anger released in a positive way. So anyway, so it's, they dedicate their lives to running all of his. He, ooh, he tries to please them all. This bitter man he is. And like the way Hetfield goes, bitter man, like the way that he spits it out. And, and it's like this, th- those lyrics get me. Because it's, again, it's the struggle against that they. And they're dedicating their lives to running all of his life. What the fuck kind of people are these? This is horrible. So it's, I think, any kind of oppression where they're dedicating lives to to running your life. Who the fuck are these people to run your life? You know, that creates such anger and resentment and, yes, and and bitterness and what's so heartbreaking about these lyrics is you know the next line he try he tries to please them all so even though they're treating him like shit and and dedicating their lives to running his this per, he's a people pleaser he 
wants their approval. So, you know, maybe it could be the child trying to get their parents' approval even though the child is being abused. Maybe it could be a spouse that's being abused still trying to to get the approval of 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 the abuser trying to please this person or people that's treating you terribly is heartbreaking. And of course it's going to create bitterness because you're not going to get what you want trying to please people who are just oppressing you. And it's some, and it's sometimes a terrible cycle to get out of, you know, and it's sometimes it's the way you're raised trying to please people, you know, being a people pleaser and trying to do what everybody wants and it's just not going to happen. So at the end of the day, you have to at least come to grips with yourself about whether this is the right thing to do or else you'll be bitter. And listen, I'm in some moments, a lot of moments, a very bitter person looking back on my life and the things I I, I wish I would have done and the things I wish I would have changed and just, you know, for whatever reason can't or couldn't or want to change it now, but it's so hard to do. And again, I'm being purposely vague. Um, It's a real struggle. it's, It's a real struggle. And then combined with, you know, my potential and not reaching what I feel is my potential is just, you know, I think part of growing old and, you know, older, I don't want to say old, (laughs) but, you know, and I don't know if I ever want to come to peace with that. I don't want to accept that because I constantly want to strive to be the best person I can be. Um, so if the bitterness motivates me, I guess that's okay, maybe. But maybe there's a more positive avenue I can take. I don't know, but bitterness does come out um, in this regard sometimes. So throughout his life the same, he's battled constantly. This fight he cannot win. A tired man they see no longer cares. So they've run his life. They've beaten him to the ground. And they've broken him. And it kind of brings me back to reading 1984. I've read the the book once, and it's one of my favorite books. It's one of those books where it has to be required reading, especially in this day and age with Trump being president. But with any president, really, in any kind of governing body, to know what governments can do. And this is a spoiler alert for 1984, but the main character um, at the end is so broken by Big Brother, this oppressive regime, that in even in his thoughts, he loves Big Brother now. It's where he can't even think about even thinking bad about a power he was so against throughout the whole book. So, so... So the man in The Unforgiven has been beaten by by the they. And it just goes to the the end, you know, the last of the new lyrics, or almost the last of the new lyrics. The old man then prepares to die regretfully. That old man here is me. So this is what – this is probably where I get like, you know, I always think to myself, well, on my deathbed, I don't want to do this. And on my deathbed, I don't want to look back and say, well, why didn't I do this? You know, on my deathbed. I always say on my deathbed, on my deathbed, on my deathbed. And maybe this is where I got it from. But, you know, the old man then prepares – I don't want to die with regrets or, you know, that may not be possible. But to, to die with as few regrets as possible, that's what I want to achieve, you know. And I don't want to be this old man preparing to die regretfully. I, I, I don't. I don't. 
that's just a fucking nightmare. Um, and then it goes, you know, what I felt, what I've known, and, and repeats that. Um, and then you labeled me, I'll label you, so I dubbed the Unforgiven. I always, you know, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but you know, I always thought the labeling is about the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. For people who don't know who the Parents Music Resource Center was, it was, um, let me see if I can get this right, it was Tipper Gore who was, you know, then the wife, the wife of then Senator Al Gore, and Al Gore later became vice president uh, under Bill Clinton for eight years. But Tipper Gore started the Parents Music Resource Center after listening to their daughter, I think it was Prince Darling Nikki, and they were just just shocked by the lyrics. So they wanted to label all of the records with with offensive content in it, and it was a big, it was a very big controversy because you know who is this government organization or this this center at least supported by you know i think it was supported by the government to get into our free expression by labeling things but i think the effect that the parents music resource center had even though it's very very chilling and any stifling of free expression is chilling but i think it had the opposite effect in that Anything that was labeled, I was immediately drawn to because I knew it was wrong and it was bad words and, and my parents wouldn't want me to hear this, so it made me want to hear it more. So, again, it it kind of goes back to, um, you know, quickly subduing someone. You know, new blood joins this earth and quickly he's subdued. You try to subdue somebody, they're going to want to pursue that more. So instead of maybe trying to subdue the symptom Address the symptoms. Say, well, why are you feeling this way and why are you expressing this? And if you open a dialogue, no matter how terrible someone's opinion might be, at least you can listen to each other and open that up for discussion instead of trying to suppress it because it's going to come out sooner or later in, in, in other ways. So, you know, get to the root of the problem. Why are you cursing so much or why are you so angry? And you may not agree with, with why I'm angry, but at least you now know and at least we can come to this understanding. Um, so I always thought it was about labeling records, but I don't know, maybe it's, you know, when you put a label on someone, you don't want them to go out of this label. You don't want them to go out of this box because then you have to take the label off and put a new label on it. Oh my God, I have to change my opinion about this person. And this person's always going to be the way I thought this person was in the past. But, um, so, so, so maybe Headfield's against, you know, the labeling. So it's like, you label me, I'll label you. So I dub the unforgiven. So maybe another way not to be forgiven is just putting people in these boxes because it's easy. It's easy to label people. It's easy not to look at the complexities of human beings and know that there are a lot of good areas, terrible areas, and gray areas within us all. So if you look at that person as a gray area, you know, you're going to have to look at yourself as having a gray area. And, and sometimes that's um, sometimes that's tough to do. So... Um, those are all the lyrics. I'm definitely going to do Unforgiven 2, but I'm tired <laughs> and I'm spent talking about Unforgiven 1. Like anytime this song's on it, I, I get really emotional. I usually cry and I cry during Unforgiven 2 and maybe I'll listen to Unforgiven 3 more and I'll, I'll cry some more. It's just the sound of Unforgiven 3 is just, oh, fucking death magnetic. The sound is, is hard on my ears sometimes because it's just, it's so clipped and it just, there's no dynamics. Like, the dynamics of the Black Album and Load and Reload are so good, and the dynamics of, you know, the first four albums aren't. So I think if the first four albums 
were had the black album production, they would be you know, there already are some of the best albums ever made, but they would probably be the best albums ever made, you know, with the musical content plus the production in tow, it would just oh, just it would just be incredible. But listen, it's a sign of the times. And um, so, so yeah, those are all the lyrics. And uh, speaking of sign of the times, I'm reading the lyrics, not from the internet, because some of those fucking lyric sites aren't accurate at all. So I have, if you hear this, hear that? It's an actual CD foldout. And it's the official book, CD book with the official lyrics in it of The Unforgiven, written by James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, and Kirk Hammett. So, I hope you enjoyed listening to me. Hope you enjoyed listening to me as much as I enjoyed um, telling you about this. So, uh, with that note, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Mike Lane, and I'm at Mike Lane Act. That's M-I-K-E-L-A-N-E. A-C-T. You can email me at MikeLaneAct at Yahoo.com. Find me on Facebook at MikeLaneActor. And please comment, rate, share this podcast wherever you, wherever you hear it. Uh, once again, I would, I, would, uh, I would really appreciate it. And I was going to say one more thing, but I totally forgot what it was. So let me leave you on that. I am not, I'm definitely not unforgettable. So there you go. Thanks, everyone. Bye.